double check. Okay, and we can record as well. You ready to go? Nothing changed for me. Yeah, let's do it. I'm All so right. confused, but I like it. Exactly. Hey, guys, welcome back to episode 22 of Next on the Platform. This week is a bonus episode because I have Michael here with me, Michael Clary Pietro, and I got it right this time. Michael competed on the <laughs> Were weekend. You practicing? <laughs> I, I have been practicing. I have been practicing. Michael competed on the weekend at the Hosier Cup. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, how Hosier. Are you Hosier Cup. Okay, perfect. How are you feeling right now, man? I'm feeling great. To be honest with you, I'm feeling great. This is one of the first meets I was just, I was telling a few people like, man, it's the first meet I don't feel like absolutely crushed from. And I know we're going to get into the prep. I really think that that was, uh, that had a lot to do with it. So I'm feeling real good and, and, and probably ready to get back in the gym sometime this week. I normally take about a week off, but I mean, the body and the mind are ready to go. Mm. Are you feeling, are you feeling like, uh, has it sunk in yet? Essentially that you won it's, you won the meet. I won the meet. Um, to be honest with you, it was, it was weird because, uh, and, and we'll get into it, but when I dropped my third deadlift and I said this to Angela right after the meet too, I, I felt like I dropped the win. Right. So like, mm. I knew what I knew what uh, essentially what a couple of the other guys had in them, um, and I knew what I had to put up. So uh, that three seventeen or seven hundred pound—that's like the milestone deadlift would have been would have been it. So I think I thought that would have been the meet. So when I dropped that, like I I legitimately had feelings of like, oh, I just dropped the win. Um, you know, after the meet was just kind of sitting down, just like thinking like, man, like I did really feel like I dropped the win. So I didn't have expectations of winning. So going in, it was kind of like not. It, it I'm watching the guys and it's just kind of like waiting for them. Like when does, when does the hammer drop? When do the, when does one mm-hmm. of these two guys actually end up beating me? So there was, there, I don't know if there was like, maybe it hasn't then because it was still kind of like, Oh yeah, I won. Um, but I still have like the feelings of the, the bittersweet feelings really of like, you know, I, I want, I had been thinking about that 700 deadlifts. I had known that I had that in me. Um, I still felt like I had it in me. Mm. uh other than a kit hand tear so it's like there's still i still have the bittersweet feeling i still have the you know feeling of thinking that i wasn't gonna win and then the the whole thing of like with a two-day meet where i compete on the first day and the other guys get to go on the second day it's kind of like i i almost felt slightly removed from the competitive part of it where they got to know what to do and i just had to watch so Mm. there are all kinds of mixed mixed things going on with it almost an advantage too it's like pulling your third deadlift after someone else pulls theirs it's like you know what you have to load i mean i I thought it i thought it even went more than that because now like i all the pressures on me right to set up and set the pace essentially is how i felt and now you can build if you know the exact number you need to hit based on what you weigh in at because it was Mm. it was based on dots you can set up your squat and your bench even too i mean you still have to execute and those guys both both did and set themselves up to pull for a win. Right. But like you can, you can actually set up your meet where maybe, you know, maybe if I, whatever, you know, if, mm. if we're in the same flight and I, and I squat something bigger than what somebody expects. Now you actually have to push your squat kind of thing. Mm. So it was, I really felt like it was a pretty big advantage. And that was really why I thought when I dropped the deadlift that I dropped the win really. Well, with, with, um, well, two things actually with, with meets being so like mental, right? It's a whole mental game. And so when, if, when you're a day ahead, like you go in there, like you said, setting the pace and, and I imagine going to win a competition, trying to win a meet and having to go a whole day ahead of other people is one nerve wracking. And two, they get the advantage of, okay, this is his dots. They can do the math. They can do the math for their own. It's like, okay, this is what we need to hit. You know, maybe they would have, you know, uh, loaded an extra two and a half here, two and a half there, whatever to try to try to get the edge on you. Uh, and the second thing was, 
when I saw your, so you posted after the meet and you posted your lifts and you kind of seemed down because I know we had spoken before the meet and, and you seemed very excited. And then I saw your post and I was kind of like, oh, he doesn't seem too happy. And obviously you had dropped your third, but from the predictions, from, you know, the way you, the way you finished the meet, I was thinking maybe he still has it in the bag. And then I saw your post and I was like, okay, maybe maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe that third deadlift was what he needed because I was under the impression that you all competed on the same day. So I was like, oh, he mustn't have won. I was like, yeah, that sucks. But, you know, good on you still, but that sucks. And then the other boys went the next day and you still came out on top. So it right, was... Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of that was just kind of, kind of the uncertainty. Like mm-hmm. I said, like if I would have been able... It, it was uh, my jump from my second to my third deadlift was 12 and a half keys. It was worth eight dot points. Uh, so whatever, for, you know, for whatever that means, that eight dots points is, is an extra 15 kilos that somebody else would have had to put on their total. Mm. And, you know, that's, it, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot really, you know mm. what I mean? So, so I think that's probably where that came from. It was kind of, I'm going to wait and see before I say anything about being happy, being whatever, you know, and it was, it, it was a great meet. Like I I'm thrilled with the meet, the way it came out and everything, but there was, there was that uncertainty at the end where it was like, I I think I told you, I mean, I, I went, I was going there to win, right? Like I wasn't going there to, to do whatever I, you know, what I wanted to do for myself. I was going there to win and whatever total it was going to take is what I was going to try and put up. So, well, you ended up still having a great meet and you ended up winning overall. So obviously, you know, there's not much to be upset about. I know you missed your third day left. You missed that 700. Um, I wish I could miss 700 pounds in competition. Um, so obviously, it was a great competition for you, right? Overall, how... And because I know you kept this on the down low and you didn't really post too much. We spoke about, you know, what was going on and you sort of said, I'm staying low because I could win. And I was like, okay. And then we saw, obviously, the two white lights predictions uh, for you to win. And I, when I realized that you were up against Ben Poor for the overall dots, I was like, he's got some great competition because Ben is heavier than you, right? He's and a 93. Ben and Dwardley were both. Dwardley at Duard, or I, I, I probably just butchered that. I'm really sorry mm. if he even listens. But Debo Flex on Instagram, mm. yeah, those guys are both crazy strong, right? And I legitimately think that their gym number, like when I when I came up with like my prediction spreadsheet, like their gym numbers are would both have beaten me, mm. right? And the no posting was a little bit twofold for me. I had done it one time in the past where I went through a whole meat prep without posting a single lift, and um. It's just I, I get a mental advantage out of it, honestly. Like, I think it, it gives me a little bit of sense of calm. And then mm-hmm. also, yeah, I was a little bit under the radar. I don't think that many people knew who I was going into the meet. Maybe still don't, to be honest. Um, and it was just like, you know, it, don't get – I, I I had a really great prep. So, it was like, don't give them things to chase, I guess. Mm. So, you had a six or eight-week prep? Um, It was – okay, it was weird. So, I did a 10-week or an 11 week that I broke into two phases. Um, and we can, I mean, I know that you're, you're interested in coaching. I'm interested in, I coach myself. So yeah, let's go of, over it, man. I'm happy to. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was, I, I ran through one five week phase, um, where I worked up to a pause squat single at eight and a half, um, and a pause deadlift single on a stiff bar at nine. So those were, and then, um, a mid grip, a mid grip Larson bench single. So I essentially treated it as a, a test run for the next five weeks of how I wanted, how I was going to peak, but with variation lifts. So pause squat, pause deadlift on a stiff bar and a mid grip Larson bench. Mm. Use that exact same strategy with comp lifts going into the next five weeks after a mini, a little mini one week deload. 
And the variations, like mini peak for the variations, was that just because obviously variation would be less overall weight, probably less fatigue, even if it was a similar RPE? Is that what the strategy was? That was a, that was a big part of the strategy. The other part of the strategy is that um, in the past, my squats had all had had really peaked in a way that made me feel ultra confident all the way up until my last squat, like the heaviest squat, right? Like I would just, um, I would say that my squat technique used to be, I would get as tight as I could hit the hole, close my eyes and pray. So, um, that doesn't really work out when you get to max effort loads. So the idea with the pause squat was to actually force myself to feel the weight in the hole before mm. I go into with an actual heavier weight. Cause I do a lot of pause squats, but not typically with weights that are, you know, going to be substantial. Did you say then, close your eyes? Sorry. Did you say you close your eyes? Really? Yeah, sometimes. Man, I, I don't know. That's if it's terrifying. Figuratively. I, I think I like probably like, I think I'd probably follow a line in order to like, I imagine if I close my eyes, I'd probably fall backwards. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Well, I don't, I, uh, I couldn't even, I, I can't tell you if that's literal or figuratively because like, I don't, I can't remember what happens during max mm-hmm. effort squats. I kind of, I, I think I black out a little. I'm not sure. It's not great, but now, now actually I know because I'm in a lot more control. Uh, so I, I, I do think that the pause squats helped me a lot on that. Mm-hmm. And then the stiff bar pause deadlift is just, I feel strongest when I'm pausing a deadlift on a stiff bar as crazy as that sounds. The weight isn't the, isn't the, the highest it's going to be. Um, my heaviest, my, I paused, um, 290 on a stiff bar at around nine at, a, at an RP nine for my last heavy deadlift for that block. So, and it just felt really strong and it transitioned really well into my, into my comp pole singles. Mm. Do you think the, with the control and stuff on the stiff bar, probably the lack of whip maybe ha- made the pause a little easier? You know what? I started, I started pausing, um, on the deadlift bar as well on my secondary day. So I was taking comp singles on my, on the deadlift bar for my primary day, uh, pause singles on my secondary day. So I, I was doing a lot of deadlift single work with a lot of back down volume, um, at pretty light, but, um, I could pause on the deadlift bar a lot easier just because when I pulled slack on anything that was below like, uh, 280 285 the the i can pull the plates out. i can essentially float the plates with pulling slack so mm. if i pause right off the floor let the whip catch up the pause yeah. actually got to be really easy uh, okay that's a strong problem that i do not have yet is the way <laughs> yeah, a- being able to slack pull the weights off the ground uh it sounds well, like you gotta just get on a deadlift do you train on a deadlift yeah bar? i train on a deadlift bar i'm just my deadlift's that's not that strong <laughs> Um, yeah, so like, let's, let's sounds like a lot of single work. Obviously you would have felt pretty dialed in on the day and, and you can't really control the hand tear. Um, hot topic for that one is, did, were there much strap usage on those singles? No, comp pulls, comp pulls all, all bare hands. And that's like one of the things is like, I, um, I try and I try and I hate straps, man. I think we talked about it last time. I can't pull with them. So I did a little bit of my back down work with straps, um, on the pause day. Mm. But other than that, it was, it was bare hands and I didn't have a single problem with callus tears on, on training at all. Mm. It was just, I got to, uh, I guess, you know, maybe 700 pounds was the breaking point, I guess. Mm. Well, I mean, as I think it might not happen for you, but for me after squatting as well, my hands are pretty raw. So like it was probably a little bit more prone, like unless you've been doing heaps of SPD days and your hands aren't used to 
all that stimulus in a row and then you get to comp. I, I mean, maybe that's part of it. But yeah, I guess, like you said, getting close to 700, your skin only has a certain <laughs> limit. Like it's not, it's not something you can really, you know, train like you can with a muscle. That could have been it. It was also pretty humid in the gym. I don't think that had anything to do with it, mm. but as I just I have I I have calisters. It, it just it tends to happen on heavy days, and mm. and I just try and hope that it doesn't happen on meat days. But with the deadlift bar, with it being a little sharper, I think I'm a li- even a little bit more prone to it. Mm. Yeah, I've heard and that so from other people as well. Up. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, what about um, squat and bench? How did they go in prep? In so. Um, I don't know. I've, I've heard this is a common problem, but people get like a little bit of like insane wrist soreness when, when squats start to get heavier. So I was battling a lot of that with bench that made it real inconsistent. Um, I prefer to bench without wrist wraps, but I couldn't do it without wrist wraps and prep. So I had to, I had to re go through that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why bench was probably a little bit lower than I was hoping on the day, but, um, you know, two and a half kg below my best bench, which was on a fat pad in a meet. So not, not upset about that. It was just a little bit inconsistent during prep due to the, due to the wrist issue and squats. Um, I genuinely think that I figured out how to squat legitimately figured out how to squat one week out. Mm. So they were feeling also crazy and consistent. Um, I hit a two sixty five squat in the gym where, uh, for my last single, which was just, the most controlled I'd ever felt with the squat and whatever clicked that day with me being able to maintain position out of the hole. Like I, I, I have and in the f- past and historically had a little bit of that stripper squat going on where my hips come up. And for whatever reason, man, I learned how to squat one week out. Mm. And so, uh, if you watch, if you watch the, uh, the squat and the meat, act, I'll actually save it till I, I go through the, the full meat. Cause I want, I, if, if we're going to do the meat recap, I do yeah. want to give like the insights on attempt selection and stuff like that too. So I just, I learned how to maintain position and I, I legitimately think it's just because whatever five years of training finally culminated into me actually squatting, like a person who knows how to squat do you think and it, the transition to flats, you think it actually really, did, I think paid off. And you think possibly from that, like block of pause squats as well. Because you said controlling it in the hole. That's one thing, at least with me. Um, if you hit the hole, like if you're a faster squatter and you can go through either pause or tempo squats, I think it's going to contribute heaps when you move back to squatting and you've like learned to control, especially in the hole. Because I know that's where a lot of people bomb out. Um, and, and, yeah, but yeah it's been not a, agree more. Yeah. And that's, that's funny because like, so you had a five-week block and then how, when you hit that pause squat, that eight and a half pause squat, how far out were you then? That was, that was six weeks out. So it was six weeks out. I took a little deload, um, where I transitioned. It was like an, it was an intro week, I guess, where I introduced all the comp lifts at, at five. It was legitimately at five. Yeah. Uh, so it was, I hit a two fifty pause squad at, uh, at eight and a half. Um, and that was kind of where it was like, okay, I, I really feel like I could have hit 600 that day, two seventy two and a half and a half in, in mm-hmm. kilos. But, um, yeah, then, so I hit that squat and, for the next four weeks, I felt like I had no idea how to squat again. It was just like, it was crazy that I was like, but for whatever reason I could go back on the pause squat being like, don't worry. It just, cause it feels bad. As long as it's still looking good, like that, all the squats looked really good. Mm. I just like had to play like the mental game of like, man, they feel terrible right now. It's just loading, I guess, whatever that means in my brain. Like it's, mm. it's, it's getting there. I don't know what it is. When I probably do a variation of a squat, I always start descending 
differently. Like if I go to do a tempo squat compared to a, like a competition squat, no matter how hard I try, the descent feels different. Maybe it's like the increased tension because I'm going slower. So like I feel my quads a bit more or whatever it is. Cause you're actually controlling that descent. I always hit the hole differently. So it's like changing back. Like you just spoke about, it's hard. Cause although you might like you've been, I've been squatting. It's like, well, it's almost a different, whole different movement just because of like that variation for some people can be so significant is i think it's i think it's the biggest argument for for hyper specificity in a meat prep you know what i mean like yeah because a pause squat is about the closest variation you can get to your competition squat but it doesn't matter because exactly like you just said you descend different i even start my descent different on a pause squat i think yeah not even not even into the hole the end of the hole is the biggest part but i mean I swear when I transition from tempo to comp, which is what I usually do, it's like, I feel like I need to rush into the hole instead. Mm. And I just like, and the, the tempo, it literally the tempo of not like how many seconds on my descent, just like the timing of when I need to do things in the squat is just so off. I also like pushing, like you said, uh, pushing a variation on the primary day. You see most people do a variation on the secondary day, but if you have the opportunity to push it on a primary day, you might figure out stuff about your lift that you can move back, like move on with in the future. Like for example, um, you know, I'm doing a tempo, my main squat day is a tempo and I've figured out stuff that I'm going to take back to my competition squat that I may not have figured out if it was a secondary day because the weights would have been easier. So it's like, yes, if singles are cool, but like, if you can have the opportunity to push a variation, I, I, I really enjoy doing it. And I think I'm going to keep doing it because now I'm more confident and I figured out stuff about the descent, about hitting the hole, that sort of thing that I'm going to use in the future. And, and just, just to build on that for two seconds, it's like, I think you need to also take it to a load that that's, I don't want to say scares you, but that's how I think of it is like, there's yeah. that, like I need to take it to a, a load that scares me to actually learn something about it. Mm. So like even, so when you say like to, to make it your primary day, right? Like you're not taking pause squat eights to learn about how your, your competition single is going to move. You're taking a pause squat single at a weight that is substantial and means something to you. Exactly. And that's where you're going to learn. That's where you're going to learn. I think yeah. that's, that's exactly what happened to me, I think. Mm. And that's like, six weeks out doing a pause squat single, that's pretty close to comp for a variation. I know a lot of people keep their variations in the whole time, but that's pretty close and you still put off a PR. You mentioned on your last single that you could have taken 600, 272. I love that you left, that's like seven and a half kilos, 15 pounds um, in the tank on your last single because I see it's, like some talk, people- You're talking about in the gym, right? Yeah, sorry, in the gym. So like yeah. I, I do see a lot of people, they'll take their last single and it's like RPE 10 or they fail. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is miss my last single. And it's like, I'm never loading something that I could potentially miss. Cause it's just like, man, the confidence, I still like an emotional lifter at this point in my like lifting career. And if I miss something, I'd be, you know, emotions go through the roof and it's just like whole whole different mentality going in. Well, right. And, and I mean, how much different is it building momentum into a meet where, okay, so I'll just tell you like my goal or the, the prescription was single at eight and a half to nine. So I was going to let myself push it a little bit. Um, but you know, 265 was the number that I had for the day. I took it. It was probably closer to an eight and a half. And I really genuinely believe like in the past, I would have been like, that wasn't a nine. I said I could hit a nine today. Let's throw on 270. Mm now that you turn that into a 10 and it's like, okay, now I don't know what I have for mm. the meat. Right. Cause it would have and been a nine thing, the first time, 
but then there's the fatigue it's, of the other single. So it's a whole different thing. And, right now it's a whole, and the same thing happened with my deadlift too, where, um, I'm a notorious miss my last deadlift single in the gym kind of person <laughs> just from fatigue and just from, and, and the crazy thing is, is like, I always come back and hit that on a second attempt. So mm-hmm. this time it was, it was kind of weird where, um, I had the same thing, eight and a half, nine for my last deadlift single. Um, I hit three ten, and it was a legitimate eight and a half. Like I not even, not even lying to myself at all. The, I, and where I, I even had to say to myself, like old Michael would have went up on this mm. and, uh, and just leave. And, and again, leaving that there, um, it just, I, I felt so right. I, I think Sean Noriega talks about all the time, like in that middle of the preparedness versus what is it? What's that? What's that scale that he talks about? I think I, you know what I'm talking about. I don't about. know what this, when the you say fatigue, it, the fitness, oh, the fitness yeah. fatigue scale. I felt like the fatigue was pulled off, but not to the point where I was too, too fresh and the fitness was perfectly high it mm. was it, it uh, leaving yes i attribute a lot of how good i felt on meat day not like saying i had like the perfect meat but how good i felt on meat day to leaving a little bit in the tank as opposed to pushing a little too hard on those last singles yeah i love that approach it's such a like it's- because right close to meat like you feel great like i was on my last deadlift single i felt great i was like you know, we had started and by the, by the time I got to my last single, I was up 40 kilos from where we started and I was like, you know, I could load more, but it's like, I just cut it back, you know, and, and it, and it works and it paid off for you. Um, so was there any, like, so you obviously sound like you had a good prep. Did you, was there anything where you're like, because obviously I spoke to Amanda, she had that terrible SVD day. Did you, ha- did you come across anything like that during your prep? Um, hmm. Other, mm, no, it was, it, uh, I think, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that I was on a deadlift bar for a meat prep for the first time in about three years. And the first time I knew what I was doing where I, I think that the amount that the deadlift bar saved fatigue on my hips and like how good it made every single deadlift feel Mm -hmm. like every single week I was able to add 10 to 12 and a half keys at not a substantial jump in RP on the deadlift, which allowed me to not overshoot my deadlifts which then kept my squats fresh Mm. the only thing that happened was my wrist just got to the point where like on my secondary and tertiary squat days i would have to not grip the bar to save my wrist for my primary squat days and i just couldn't bench the way i wanted to Mm. so there was a little bit of that where it just it the i i i I'm like trying to think of like, you know, what would, what could, what could I have done differently with, with the bench to save the wrist? But it's just something that I never encountered before. Mm. And it's because I changed my squat stance setup just a little bit to make it more stacked. Um, and I think that that just started, I just started holding a little bit more pressure, um, on that to the point where, uh, I think I just need to build up more tolerance to that, to that position, um, Mm. to not make bench feel like trash. But other than that, it was great. Mm. Well, I saw your your obviously a competition post, and we can jump into the meat. Uh, your competition squat, your hands are very close to your shoulders. Like from what I could see, they're very close. Is that what you're talking about? You brought them in more stacked. Brought them in. Brought them in a finger more. Mm. Uh, I that's kind of how I judge, like based yeah, on uh, <laughs> relative to the ring. And um, uh, the the thing that I was thinking, not that this is actually what happened, but kind of the cue was to jam my wrists under the bar. So I was before I had always thought, get my elbows underneath the bar, get my elbows underneath my body, my shoulder or retract my lat. But instead, the cue that I started telling myself was jam my wrist into the bar, um, 
which helped a ton. It gave me so it gave me a feeling of so much more control in the hole because I remained stacked the whole time. Um, but I think that's where that's where the wrist issues came from because that was the cue I was using myself was jam my wrists into the bar. Mm. And I don't think that's gonna work for everyone because that's a weird that's a weird way to think about it. But that was what I was cueing and mm. uh, it really helped the squat. But then, you know, not I'm not used to that position. And I changed that about I changed that for once the pause squat started to get heavy where I started to feel like I was losing control in the hole. So it was like anything, any pause squat after 235 or I think that's 518 mm. uh, in pounds started to feel like I was losing control in the hole. And that was kind of what, what was the solution? Losing control of the bar? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah well, I, don't, I, I tend to not hold the bar when I squat. Um, it's an issue. Yeah. It's an issue I've been working on. I my hands will open. Like if you watch any of my videos, my hands open. I've seen all a couple. The time. I think it was maybe Will 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 Strength. I don't know if that's his not Willis or Will. Um, Willis, yeah. Willis, yeah. yeah. I've seen one of his squats where on the way up, it's like a grinder. And essentially his hands open up. It's just his fingers there. And it's just like barely even touching it. When I squat, like I gotta hold the bar tight. I feel like I'm always trying it to not to let it roll off my back. So I have to like mm-hmm. roll it forward essentially in my back to keep it there. I don't know what that is. It doesn't really sit very nicely in my back. So I have to like, <laughs> maybe I have to redo my technique. Uh, but yeah, if I unrack and there's pressure in my wrists, so I'm the opposite of you. If I unrack and like, there's pressure in my wrists, I'm going to like, because I like, before I unrack, I push up into the bar. And if I can really mm-hmm. feel it in my hands, I'll go back under and like redo it. And, you know, I, I feel tight. I just it's, can't, it'll just ruin my bench. Like you said, it'd be the exact same thing, but just really severe where I just like pain. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if it, yeah, if it works, if the wrist under the bar, if it works for you, why not? That's right. And I mean, I think that's like the, not to get meta, but like, that's the whole lesson about cues is like, it's not, mm. th- there's probably not a right or wrong. It's just, how does it work for you? Mm. And I actually don't push up into the bar. I push forward into the bar. And that's kind of how I get the the jet. So my body is pushing forward. My wrists are pushing up, which is kind of where that comes from. And it's just, uh, I don't know, man. I have I have one of the most narrow wide bar stances that I've that I've seen anyone take. Also, and mm. with my long legs, it just makes the bar have to travel even further. So it's like it's like essentially just throwing out mechanical advantage the way that I squat. But it feels so strong when I do it this way. So it's like what mm. whatever. Sometimes it's like biomechanics here and how you feel. And it's like, you got to really pick. And if it, you know, if it works, it works. Um, your, yeah, your, your comp squat is when I, when I saw the video, I was like, that's a long range of motion. Like that is a long way down. And I was like, yeah, that is a close stance. You were very like hands in close, feet are in pretty close and you sit a long way down. It was just unusual to see at like those type of meets because usually that's like a 66 kilo, like, type of thing but like you're a 74 and getting up like and you're gonna move up soon uh maybe i don't know well, I, try, I tried to i tried to last year and it didn't work i came back down just like on accident so well uh, we'll see i've went through failed bulks before that i'll probably try again yeah well yeah it's just the very like close stance and like close grip squatter that i'm not really used to seeing because usually it's like more of a 66 sort of or like a even especially within females um, like the lighter lifters have like a really close and, you know, so it was unusual to see. Right. Um, very satisfying to see like a, like unquestionable depth from a close stance squatter. Cause usually it's not like that. Um, oh yeah. I, yeah. I, I even, I even take a lot of pride in, in, because it, 
it the depth can be deceiving to the point where I will show people like a side angle of my squat and they'll be like, you're definitely fine. And I'm like, you like the close stance makes it deceptive. Right. So like you, I'm like, look at where my hip crease is. Like I'm the, I'm my toughest critic on myself. So I really try and make sure that I'm, I'm actually dunking it um, mm. relative to my foot position. At least, I mean, I can't get lower than I do most of the time. Mm. So how are squats on the day with the temp selection? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So um, with, with uh going into the meet we had a plan um of my we're i i opened 250 jumped to 262 five so that was what what was going to be a for sure and then third attempt it was going to be um i had a range of 267.5 to 272 five 275 if it was like if it was going crazy but basically i said like because of the fact that i that was like when i that was before i knew it was going to be a two-day thing so it was like when we saw it was going to be a two-day thing it's like you're not it, don't try and load 275 because you're going to miss that and then they're going to have you're only going to take your second attempt so um after after 2625 i was like i was very confident i had 10 kilos left um my girlfriend jordan was the one who was handling me we went and talked about it i let her call the attempts um but it was like it was like 267.5 was going to be the bottom i went over and i said i have 2725 uh, and we loaded 270 because we knew that was, it was, I, I had to go three for three on squats no matter what. Mm. Um, and, if, and a lot of people came up to me after and were like, you had 600. And I said, yeah, I had 600, but I don't know if I had 601. So, it was, you know, it's just like the, the, the 272.5 converts to 601. It's like, I had 600. Um, but I didn't, I don't know if I had 601 and 270 was exactly what we needed there. Mm. So it was, it was hard. It was, you know, slow. But it, I, it, in my mind, the absolute perfect, exactly what a third attempt should look like because I was, I didn't feel gassed at all going into bench then. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like people will overshoot their third squat, maybe grind it all the way out, and then bench is tanked. So it's like you gotta, you gotta toss it up between the it's, two. It, yeah, exactly. And it was, mm. I, I, I mean, you saw it. Um, what do you think? How, how do you feel about that attempt selection? From I, those, from like, I definitely thought you had some left in squats, but I'm the same in that. Like I'm an advocate of leaving two and a half, probably not five kilos, but about two and a half kilos on squat. Leave two, because that was the game plan. Leave two and a half. Mm. The game plan was leave two and a half. If I left two, then perfect. Even mm. better. You know what I mean? Like I, there's, there's not a doubt in my mind. I could have squatted 600 on the day, but, um, for building the total 270 was the right call. Mm. It's cool. Cause it's cool to have an RP 10 third squat, hit a big PR, but it's also cool. And it's depending on, it depends on the lifter, but like if you're going to arch, if you're going to, you know, pull conventional, there's a whole like fatigue for me. If I, you know, my arch is ruined. And then if my arch sucks, I'll be cramping during deadlift. So it's like, you got, I look all the way down the line to check what that extra two and a half kilos might do. Or, and that's and that's not exactly. even to mention the mentality side of it where it's like, oh, fuck, I just missed my third squat. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you got to really think it's- about it. And I think, yeah, you definitely had some left from what I could see. And obviously, like, visual RPE isn't everything. But you said yourself, some left. Yeah, but I um I do agree completely with the attempt selection. I thought it was really good. Right, and, and I mean, not just like, like you said, like, not like the mentality of what it's going to do, but at a meet like this where it was like, I felt like all the pressure was on me to go nine for nine, right? Like more so than any other meet before. And that was kind of where, uh, I just really feel like the attempt selection was, was so perfect on everything that we did 
uh, that day, just, just as a preface to the rest of the meet, but like it was going nine for nine was so important. And, and I ended up going seven for nine, but I wouldn't change a single attempt selection, mm. e- even with all the hindsight in the world. Mm. So I know you missed the bench. Um, walk me through what happened there. Uh, you hit just under your comp max, was it, or just under your best or overall bench? It was just under. It was just under. It was under just under both. So I hit 160 on the fat pad uh, back in October. Um, and really, really going in, my goal with with the wrist issue was just to tie that. Mm. Um, so open 152.5 and um, actually jumped the press command on that one. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, t- I ended up talking to the head ref after. I don't know if you know who Travis Rogers is. Really great dude. I, I talked to him after. Oh, yes. I do um, know. Yeah. 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 He was he was my head ref. And um, and uh, I'm my opener. I, I swear to God, the second I heard air come out of his lips, not even a putt, not even the letter P, the second I heard air, I went. And uh, both of the side judges, like, they told me, that, like, they're like, did you jump that? And then only the head ref gave me a red light on that. And he goes, you jumped it. And I was like. I was, I, I straight up told him, I was like, I was trying to time you. I thought I, I thought I timed it as perfect as possible. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like I got punished for it on the second, my yeah. second attempt, the press command, the, the press command, I felt like I was down there for a good while. Oh, um, so it's, it's the longest one, second of your life that waiting for that <laughs> well, press command. And well, the thing is when you jump it on the first attempt there, everybody's wa- like all three judges are watching to make sure that you're, that you're paused as yeah. much as possible. Right. So, so then the plan was to go one fifty seven five. I still went one fifty seven five, um, and, and hit that perfectly, uh, even with the long command. So, um, even after that, I was thinking I had one sixty two, but we were like, let's go one sixty. Um, and that came off my, like, I got the long press command again, whatever was, it was fine. It was not unfair by any means. I was the one that set myself up for it. If it was even a little longer than it needed to be. Um, and I get about three quarters of the way up and my left foot starts slipping. So the, the, it was, I mean, I don't know if you even watched that video on the end, but it was, I felt like I was there for a whole minute and I'm like, and I'm slipping, my left foot is slipping on the carpet as I'm pressing up. So every little bit that I press up, my arch is coming down Uh. and it got to the point where eventually it was like, I am not going to be able to finish this without my left foot. And so I had to say, take it. And I think my left arm might've even been locked out, but my right arm just, it was never going to get there. And I had up Mm. and down and it was only two and a half keys. Right. And Mm. so because of that too, like I wasn't like getting any back cramping issues. I wasn't like back fatigued. It was just like my feet were slipping and my position was changing and I was just kind of melting. Mm. So I wasn't like pressing with my back like crazy. So I didn't even like, I didn't even feel like I picked up any fatigue from that either. Mm. So it was like, I wanted 160. That's what I had pressed on a fat pad. My best on a non-fat pad is 157.5. So I matched that, whatever. It doesn't matter all at the end of the day. It was, it was two and a half keys that I didn't get, but still wasn't even really discouraged by that because it's like, as long as I pulled 317, um, I still felt like I, I was in a good spot. Yeah. And I mean, if, the, if you're going to fail a bench, it's it, the foot slipping, <laughs> it, I guess it's the bet, like the least fatiguing the thing be- you can do. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's like, you know what? It looked like, it looked like I was like dying, but uh, I didn't feel like I was dying. Just a so. bit more of a technical breakdown. <laughs> yeah. Was it like new, was it different flooring that you, to what you'd been using or was it just like not great? 
for to be, to be honest with you i just i didn't get my left like my left foot slipped when i went to go set up and then i just kind of tried to like screw it back in really quickly and i think i just did a bad job of it mm. it was there there was nothing wrong with the carpet at all i just i wasn't i wasn't locked in the way that i should have been and i should have taken a, the extra five seconds that i had mm. but i was just like I don't know. That's just the. I think that's just a me day mentality. It's like ah, I'm probably fine, and mm. then you're not fine. When oh man, I always think when, when I walk out, I always think take your time, take your time, take your time, because I always rush everything. <laughs> and I get under yeah. there, and like my bench setup is way faster. And I think, and I'm like, <laughs> as I'm doing it, I'm like, this is too fast. As I'm like getting into my setup, and I like, I can't slow down because I'm like, like nervous and everything. I just. Yeah, and like, and I, like, ex- I I should do this, but I just can't. So yeah. It's like okay, here we are. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's like just maybe I think I'm going faster because of just the nerves, but it always feels so much faster. And I think, fuck, I probably missed something. Like I probably forgot to <laughs> like readjust this or that. And then I, and it usually turns out fine, but I, yeah, slow. Like that's why I'm this next prep. I'm going to do everything as slow as I possibly can so that when I walk out there, I've had practice and I can just be slow and, and use some of the, use some of the time on the clock. Cause I always am right. done in like 20 seconds. <laughs> Right. Well, and it, and it also didn't help that I got like, um, on my second attempt, I got a warning for the thumb loops on my wrist wraps mm. touching the bar. So, um, I was like spending a couple extra seconds jamming the thumb loops in. I walk out and like, I show the head ref. I'm like, is this good? And they're like laughing at me like, Oh, he knows how to listen. Huh? And I'm like, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta go hit my third bench now. <laughs> so I'm like, I was just loose and it was great. I mean, like I wouldn't change it either. I was like, I was loose the whole time mm. and it was, so, I mean, that I'm, like, thinking about that. Like, I'm like, all right, let's just go hit this bench and then just didn't, mm. didn't get the foot in, whatever. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. No regrets on that either. You know, 157, I'm still going to – that's that's what my bench is, and it needs to get better if I want to get to the to the top of the weight class. You know what I mean? Like, that's mm. it's it's an okay bench, but it's pretty far down there mm. in the rankings compared to my squat and deadlift. It's, it's almost time to take over Atwood. Just get that bench up, that's- and we'll take it <laughs> – take the crown <laughs> off Taylor Atwood. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> you said that, not me. I, I, I heard he's. I heard he's hours. winning the seventy three, seventy uh, fours, and the eighty threes. Is what I heard. That's. No, I heard jokes. I heard jokes about him beating Sean and Russ as well. Because <laughs> he's his. The, he's, the man came in third in twenty nineteen uh, in the eighty threes as a uh, weighing in at seventy four. I, I. He makes insane. He, he makes no sense. It's incredible yeah. and it's amazing. Yeah, man. Uh, so you came off the back of bench, missed a third. How did you how did you feel going into deadlifts cuz you like hitting a nice easy squat potentially you know missing a bench because of something that wasn't really you know a strength uh, a strength issue yeah. you must have felt pretty good I was oh yeah I mean I, I I felt I was feeling so good and just deadlifts had felt so good all prep and I was just like this is I it was almost like I was like this is this is what I came here for basically mm. and and uh I mean just like just like the whole mentality was like um, the way that the meet was set up was kind of like, it was like, it was platform. And then the announcer's table was um, adjacent to it. And so when you walked out of the warm up room, like you were facing the announcer's table. Um, and so uh, where, which is where Angelo and Garrett were commentating. So the, the, that, that the live stream table. So I just walked out and I was like, you know, I was vibing to my music or whatever. And I just lock eyes with Angelo, right. As they say the word seven as the number 700. And I'm just like, I can't, I couldn't wipe a smile off my face, man. I was just like, this is it. Like no nerves, no prep. Like that's how good I felt the entire meet. Mm. Man, it making just having this conversation makes me want to compete so bad. I just got chills when you said that. I want to get back on the platform so badly. 
yeah oh yeah that was mm. i think that's like uh, of the few you know some of the few moments from like i i had i had always been so serious before third deadlift too and it's like um i i need to like typically need to take time to calm myself down because like my heart will start racing and it'll be and i was just like man i was this is it this is it now so i was mm. like that was yeah what a great that was a great feeling so that just summarizes like how i felt about deadlifts like warming up um my last one, my last warm up was, uh, was 265 and I opened 285 and 265, as you know, was the first time I put on a belt. Um, yes. and it was, it was man, like I didn't even feel the weight. Like yeah. I did. You I, want. And so then I, yeah. That's so, what you want. Mm. yeah. So hit the platform 285 was probably like a lighter opener than I ever would have gone with, especially like if, you know, 317.5 is the goal, right? 285 is, is kind of far away. The plan was to go 285, 305, um, first to second. So a 20 kilo jump. And I mean, I, I, I couldn't have told you I was holding a bar when I pulled 285 on the platform. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, the jump to 305 was, was great and absolutely smoked that like watching the video, of how fast 305 moves still makes me frustrated that I didn't pull like 320 that day because it's like, man, that felt so good too. Um, and so the range, the, uh, my third attempt range on, on deadlift was somewhere between 315 and 320 if everything was going well. And it was like, I, I, I promise I had the strength to pull probably 322.5. Um, I really think that based on the way I know my deadlifts move, I, I had five keys left on that 317 if the hand doesn't tear. So mm-hmm. it's just like, uh, that's why it's like just such, such a bittersweet ending. Cause watching the way it moved, it moved almost the way that three ten moved in the gym on my last deadlift. Day. It was fast. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, so just, yeah, just like I, I, I'm pulling it and it's moving just so well and three quarters of the way up. Like I'm already thinking like, just, you know, lock this out and let's go. And I feel the hands start tearing. Like I can feel it three quarters of the way up. And mm-hmm. so like, I immediately go from, this is so fast in my head to oh. please get a down command. Please get a down command. Please get a down command. And yeah. I just never got the down command. It almost looks like, honestly, it almost looks like you were like any, any, if you had held it just any longer, it, you would have got it. Like just even sw- the slightest <laughs> bit longer. <laughs> Which is like probably annoying to hear, but like you looked like you were so close. (laughs) It was, I, yeah, I really think because, so again, I was talking to the head ref after the meet and I was like, man, you just, you couldn't have given me that down command. He's like, I wanted to so bad and I was so close, but like your left side was soft. And I was like, I know it was soft. That's why you needed to give me the down command because I couldn't hold it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just sad. And it was like, and that was probably the worst hand tear that I ever had because normally my hand tears don't just like start bleeding right away. But I was like, I went back into the warm up room and was already dripping blood off my hand. Mm. And it was just like, that it was, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like it's not even at this point, like it's not even a strength issue for you. You just, you just couldn't hold the bar. And like, when I saw, you know, when I saw the video, I was like, holy shit, this is fast for a third. When, like you said, the first three quarters and then you got up and I was like, oh no. And then, and then it just, I was like, oh, maybe he got the down and just like sort of dropped it before he could control oh, the floor. Cause I couldn't hear the down command in the video, but, uh, but you obviously, obviously just like didn't quite get there. You must've been just like, like I said, any further up, it would have been like, it, it looked like you were that close. 
I mean, um, yeah. So, so Amanda was actually the one taking videos for me. Mm. And, uh, and when she sent me, when she sent me the video right after she sends me the video, but she sends me a screenshot of it where you can see it. Like it looks a hundred for like, I locked the weight out. That's like the thing. Like it wasn't like, yeah, I locked it out, but it was just like, so she like sends the still of that with it. And I'm like, now you're just rubbing it in because like, (laughs) I, I know I locked it out. I could feel it locked out. Mm. It just, I know I just didn't hold it. And, um, and what he said too, what the, what the head ref said after too, I was like, you know, one side was soft anyway. And it was like, yeah, I, I could feel it and I can see it in the video if you look closely, but it like, it kind of depends on my mood now. When I go back and watch that video, like I have like a hundred times, it's like, sometimes I'm like, that was locked. Just give me the down command. And then other times it's like, yeah, I wouldn't give me a down command. Mm. So it's like, you gotta be realistic with yourself where I was like, it was too bad. But, um, like in the USPA, there's like um, a potential for a fourth attempt if you're going for like a state or a national record or whatever. Mm. And like, there was almost like some thought in my mind where if I pulled that number, which is what I thought I needed to win the meet that like just throw on three twenty two and a half and see what happens. Mm. Um, because like, I, like I still think that the strength was probably there for, for five keys more than that number, but they're just the hand, the strength mm. in the hands wasn't. And it's just like, could I have pulled maybe three fifteen? Who knows if that would have torn the callus too? You know yeah. what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, do you grip um in the? You obviously grip like in your palm, hey, and not in your fingertips. No, I do grip in the fingertips. Oh. I ripped in. I ripped in the finger actually. Oh, so here. was I, it? It's, was it like? Oh, you're gonna show anyway. This is, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the photo, I thought when I, I looked at the photo quickly, and it kind of looked like your palm, and I was like, oh, okay, he's just like, because when I grip in my palm, like deep like you like exactly how i imagine it happens to everyone else the bar like rolls from the middle of my palm down to like Mm -hmm. the distal end of my palm just before the fingers start and in that like the fat pad in like the fat pads here that starts to rip there like which is where your calluses are obviously but when Mm -hmm. i have it in my fingers i don't have an issue so you actually ripped like your finger yeah the callus and and i have calluses there um it just yeah it just and the thing is is like like you just said, like normally when my calluses tear, I'll feel the bars start to roll. And I never felt this start to roll. I just felt the tear. So it was like my, and my left hand is holding on fine the whole time. So mm. it's like the bar's not rolling at all. I feel it being still. I just feel the car- callus tear. So like the skin that was it's, holding the bar there actually moved. It just, it wasn't right. really something that you could control. <laughs> right. It was, it wasn't like, I, and that was the thing too. It's like, I don't even like drop the bar. Like it just, it just is not there anymore. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, I, obviously that's semantics. I dropped the bar, but like, it didn't feel like I was dropping the bar. It's just, mm. the bar was just gone. And so. it was like, you can kind of see what exactly what you just said. Like in your, when you like fell backwards and you sort of, you're like, you sort of realize you fell and then you like got up and you sort of realize what had happened. Like that must've been when it set in that you'd kind of just drop the bar. Yeah. It was well and yeah. And the, it's because also like the feeling of like, I felt, I felt myself lock it out too. And it was just like, you couldn't have just, it, it was kind of just like looking at my hand, like, like exactly what you said, like you couldn't have held on for even a split second to get that down command. And mm. it, that's, that's kind of what it was. I was saying to my hand. So mm. it's just, I, I, yep. I just, and, and, um, my parents were watching actually, my dad texts me, he goes, somebody in the chat says that you have grip problems. Is that true? And I was like, <laughs> yep. hundred <100%." laughs> percent. Dad, I don't even use straps in the gym. Leave me alone. (laughs) I was like, I'm trying. 
<laughs> he's like, yeah. just so, he's like, is that true? Somebody in the chat said that. And I was like, dude, yep. of course it was somebody in the powerlifting chat <laughs> on a live stream at a meet that says the, the winner, the, the guy who ends up winning the meet has a grip problems. Of course it's someone in the chat. It's just even <laughs> funnier that you don't even use straps. So like, yeah, there's like not really much more you can do. And it wasn't even a grip issue. You're frigging hand ripped <laughs> apart and they're blaming grip. I mean, oh, that's hilarious. That is actually funny as that someone in the chat would say, like, that's just a classic chat thing to be said. Right. And, and well, and the fact that like nobody other than like my dad who's watching, who's like, he's like, are, are you like, should you be insulted by this? And I was like, nah, whoever said that, like, I want to follow him on Instagram and DM mm. them and tell them they're right. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious, man. That's, um. I've never tuned in like and watched the live stream. Like I had a look at the chat, but I can imagine it's just stuff like the King of the Lifts comment section. I imagine that's what a live stream to a powerlifting meet looks like. Oh, that opener was too heavy. And blah, blah, blah. You know, like just, just like um, third wheel coaching there's, essentially from the chat. Right. There's, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing that can, there's nothing good that can happen like in the, in the comment section mm. of those posts, which by the way, I didn't get a repost on my, uh, my meet recap. I'm a little salty, but I'm not going to DM it to him because that's just, I, that's how I am. Oh, so, King of the Lifts. Yeah. Oh, well, that's about, well, I'll tag him. I'll tag him. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell, tell him he needs, tell, what's his name? Ryan. Ryan. Great dude. He's like, he's like all the time too. He's just like, he's like, DM me your stuff if I don't see it. And like, and if it's good, I'll post it. And it's like, mm. yeah, I'll DM you other people's stuff, but yeah. I won't DM you my own he didn't, stuff. He didn't, hey, you DM him my stuff. DM him mine so I can get on <laughs> I got you. I got you. <laughs> Put my bench up there. No, I don't. I'll, I'll, earn my, I'll earn my way there. He can come and find That's me. All, yeah, yeah. Speaking about the live stream, how was like, cause I saw heaps of stuff about Garrett and Angelo commentating. And I thought that it was such a good combination cause they obviously Angelo does the podcast. Garrett's a great commentator. How was that as a competitor? Cause obviously there's clips of, you know, I could go back and watch the live stream as a viewer, but how was it as a competitor? Because I know when the meets that I've been at, there's been a couple of like, there's been one good commentator and it actually helps. It helps that you have someone there announcing it properly and like getting, saying your last name properly. And that sort of thing is important. Like it, I had one where they said it wrong and it threw me off. Oh, so right. well, I mean, you got your last name is my first name. So I, it's a little bit harder to mess up. I don't know if anybody's ever said my last name right on a, on a net. But so the thing is just, just to point out is that Garrett and Angelo were on the live stream, but there was a separate MC for the event. Uh, so we weren't hearing what they were saying. Only the chat was hearing or the stream was hearing what they were saying. Uh, we had a normal MC. Um, that is what we heard on the on the speaker as lifters. Okay, all right, that's my bad. Then I just so, imagined that how how are they not? How are those two not in charge of the MC? Like, <laughs> I think it's better. I think it's better that it goes that way, at least in my opinion. Because on the stream now, you get like you get somebody turning this into a professional sporting event, but then on the MC, you got. Um, uh, somebody telling you how many people are two people out, how many people are three out. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's more matter of fact type stuff on the MC for the crowd. That's actually there that sees what's happening mm. at all times. So yeah, I guess, I guess you don't want to hear Garrett and Angelo analyzing your attempts after you've done them. Oh, yeah. oh that, imagine, that was, imagine I load three seventeen and Angelo oh. says, oh, I think Michael only has three fifteen on the day. This <laughs> I think, be I think he's going to miss this one. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like, now I now I understand why they're on the live stream and not emceeing the whole thing. The chat's blowing up right now saying Michael has grip issues. Like, so hold this bar. It's like, oh, well, come on. Michael, before you take this attempt, I'm sure we let you know, nobody thinks you've got it. Uh, <laughs> just don't even bother. <laughs> the, the, the haters are flocking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. 
Okay, so, well, now but, I know. <laughs> but also, I heard um, uh, Gary and Angela told me after the meet that um, uh, they had like audio issues, so they cut it after squat. So there was just kind of stock music or whatever. Oh uh, um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, for for squat, uh, bench and deadlift for day one. So then they were they were on the whole time for day two. Um, so I I was. I uh I wasn't there for the whole meet day two. I only showed up for deadlifts. We were we were out to breakfast, so I was watching like at breakfast. So I wasn't even listening, so I can't even say how it was. But the live stream visual was outstanding. Mm. Um, the only comment I heard from my dad, who was watching from home, was that he would have liked to have seen a scoreboard. But other than that, mm. so of you know of like where uh, probably just because he wanted to see where I was and how close people were to yeah. catching me. To be honest, that was probably a selfish thing personal thing but yep. like it is i think it would be nice to have a scoreboard up there somewhere uh mm -hmm. just for like the visual of it but otherwise i think that i think that i thought the visual was incredible for the mm -hmm. way the live stream looked as a as a fan of the sport watching day two yeah and i know like it's easy to say and like obviously running a meet is such a huge thing and like garrett does it really well and uh my coach is putting together a meet and his plan is to have like a live scoreboard on the live stream i don't know how it works it must be like an excel sheet you put the data in it, it's like a live updating thing of you know the highest scores at the top i don't know how you regulate excel but like yeah i saying, feel like you'd have to have somebody inputting it uh and yeah then yeah putting it on a different screen okay yeah like you'd have to bring in someone who knew what they were doing to do it and i think um to, as like an as like you said like your dad as an outsider of the sport someone who isn't powerlifting but still wants to watch it or like potential new new uh, people in the sport that scoreboard is so important because like you wouldn't go you wouldn't watch a soccer game if you didn't know what the score was i mean you'd watch it but like you'd be like what the hell is going on it would, yeah, you know it would be absolutely miserable being like it would is this, does this matter is this is somebody up 4-0 or is this yeah like exactly yeah. it's exactly so it's like it's a huge and i know it's like a massive deal and it's not as easy as i'm making it out mm -hmm. to me but it, it is such a cool thing that like could help the quality of the live streams and i know i listened to the two white lights episode before the meet uh no before the actually no before the one that dan bell did and they were talking about the production of that and how good it was and i heard something about that he said angelo said something about the um the sparklers were like too much and people were getting burnt and stuff by the sparklers or whatever it's like there's so many aspects of a meet but i think that is an important one and i'm i'll, I'll um i'm excited to see how my coach puts it together for his for his meet that he's sponsoring mm -hmm. but i think it's i think it's just a matter of like getting an excel sheet and getting someone to regulate it somewhere on the screen even if it's just for the people at the meet like out the back it so, wouldn't oh, oh, so yeah i've already i've already talked to um to sergio the owner of surge he's the meet director of uh the next meet that i'm doing uh in october being like can we is there any way that we could get like a running scoreboard especially because where these meets were like the, there's cash prizes getting mm, yeah you know, given away for and, and people in different weight classes are competing so it's not just total it's you need to mm. know people's wilts and yeah. like i still remember when i did the power surge last year um, and I knew what my Wilkes was because I was in an earlier flight than the bigger guys. <clears throat> and I'm like watching them being like trying to like look at their projected Wilkes based on their whatever their attempts, you know, next attempts are. And it's like, how cool would it be to be like, here's who's in first place. Here's what that project, yeah. their projected Wilkes is going to be if they hit their third squad attempts or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so we there is one guy at the gym that uh, he he uh, he I was bouncing some ideas off him and he's a little bit better. He's the one who set up the live stream. Zach McGillish, Zach, if he even listens since uh the live stream for some of the surge events and he he thinks that there's you know, there could be a way to do it too so 
whatever your coach says, we'll have to get we'll have to get together after and talk about like maybe ways to make this. this yeah, legit. well, I'll talk to him and see what his plan is to do it. Um, I'd love to like just steal it off him, post it, be like, here's a template, like use, you know, whoever can use this. I, he's obviously going to get it done by someone <clears throat> who knows about computers and shit. I don't, I don't know anything That's about him. Um, but yeah, it's like a, like even just watching along. Cause like I'll tune into a meet and it's like, I'm only going to tune in. Let's say if Michael's on, cause I only know him there, but it's like, if there was a scoreboard and like, maybe I knew some other people a little bit, you know, cause I know of Ben poor, I follow his training. So it would have been mm-hmm. nice to just see where he was in relation to you, especially on the second day when you'd already gone like they could have michael is here and then they could have you know everyone else on the second day and ben moves up to here and then ben moves up to here and it's, it's like you can track because you've already gone i know on on a one day meet that would be really hard but like they well, could have that's, that's the idea of like the prime time session or the prime time flight so you have everybody let's say you have a 12 person flight you have the top 12 qualifying scores and regardless of weight class, mm, all yes. those people are in the same flight. That mm. way, now you only have to project one flight. And then, you know, maybe you get somebody from the other flight that has a huge meet and they can jump into that top, into that scoreboard or whatever. But, like, it makes it a lot easier if you have the way that the the current, which is the meet that you're talking about, they had, like, they had the main card, which was, like, the 10 highest qualifying Wilkes who they thought were going to be battling it out. So that way they could push each other, even though Chad Penson is 130 pounds lighter than Dan Bell. <laughs> yeah exactly he can, you know they can they're still battling for what squats mean kind of thing yeah exactly and it's such even like you know i can do the math between an 83 and a 93 and like look at proportionately different numbers and attempts and stuff but when you have chad and dan it's like there's nothing you can do in your head to <laughs> even try to like right put it well, together yeah, does, does chad penson's 881 squat mean more than dan bell's 1100 pound squat i don't know they're both yeah <laughs> they're both otherworldly and things i can't exactly. even fathom so exactly that's that's what i mean like i know it's difficult to and we're probably making it sound too simple but a right. live scoreboard would <laughs> exactly. be super super good i would probably tune into any meet if there was a live scoreboard because it's just like when you watch a, a game if you don't know if you don't know the teams really well the score is the next most important thing. Like you, if you, right. if you tune into a random game of sport, you're only watching the score. You don't really care about the teams. So if it was like a powerlifting meet, if you don't really know the people, at least you can watch the score live and, right. and it's entertaining. Or uh, yeah, any, any kind of meet where the prior, uh, the best overall lifter is going to be decided by Wilkes, any kind of, or uh, some kind of coefficient score, mm. any kind of meet like that, where like you're seeing who's going to actually win first overall. That's mm-hmm. like a scoreboard. Yeah, exactly. A scoreboard would make it would get people that wouldn't normally be invested. Give them a reason to watch. Mm, exactly. And I imagine I know there is some meets like I don't know if big dogs or whatever where it's just total, like some mm-hmm. meets where they're like all 140 plus or whatever it is, like 120. Um, then yeah, then maybe you don't need one because people can do the math in their on their phone. But like uh, for the like you said coefficient where I don't even know what the formulas <coughs> are. I have no idea, so I couldn't do it if I wanted to. It'd be nice right. to see. And, you know, and this is just coming from someone who's never run a meet before. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know really what <laughs> way, I'm talking way, about, but <laughs> way easier said than done. Yeah, yeah exactly. Put together a crazy meet. Yeah. And I know, I know how much like went into the live stream that he put in and I know that he has even bigger plans for future meets, which yeah. is awesome. And what? it's like, there, it's all this to say, absolutely not a knock on anything that happened. No, of at course all. not. Just, yeah. 
Just every, things every, that, you know, people that don't have to actually implement it, you and I <laughs> yeah, throwing exactly. out ideas. In the, well, that's what you mean. Like, you see, like, uh, IPF meets and stuff. They obviously have a lot of funding. And it's like the USAPL obviously has a lot, but I, I would have to imagine the USA, the USPA has less funding. So when you see a meet put together like this, you're like, you know, this is, you know, someone like Garrett put it together. It wasn't a group right. of like IPF. It was, the, it was the efforts of one person, of a, a yeah. lot of one person. It wasn't right. like a team of directors who sat down in the IPF and like, this is how we're going to do nationals. This is how we're going to do worlds. I don't know how it works exactly. I'd have to imagine it's a team. When you see Garrett right. put together a meet like that, and it's like so much more entertaining to watch. I don't know. USAPL meets just... Unless you're watching someone you know, they're so boring. They're so monotone. I mean, you you heard the commentators on the last um, the collegiate, Nats, collegiate nationals. Oh, oh my god, dude! And you know, apart from that guy getting hit in the face with the bar, it was a pretty pretty monotone meet. And like, other than people, other than watching people that I knew, you know, pretty. Right. But when you watch a USPA meet, obviously untested divisions are always fun to watch. Uh, and then you know the the production quality that Garrett puts together is just. Any, it makes anything entertaining. Even if people you it don't know, awesome. it, yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, and you obviously, as the winner, you walked away with a ghost combo rack, which is crazy, absolutely it, insane. And that awesome. was it's awesome. And, and then and then prize and then prizes on top of it that Garrett threw together from sponsors that uh were like weren't even advertised or weren't even being like, oh, this is something else you're gonna win too. So uh he i'm still waiting to hear like what the what the exact prize package is but he he got a lot of other prizes from sponsors too that mm. are on top of that rack too so it was that was yeah it was awesome is, and the and, rack's awesome and was it the rack that you competed on yeah so it was the win so uh the the yeah the the winner of uh the women got the day one rack the winner of the men got the day two rack that's what i was trying to mm. get out no you're <laughs> right uh and you said for smallest biceps at the meet which i thought was pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> well, well so so the story behind that was that uh Garrett's like take a picture with your rack or whatever and he was gonna go take a picture with it so i took my picture my normal picture smiling i was like can i flex on this so i throw up a bicep he's like no get off and i was like oh is it because i got the smallest arms at the meat set so i was like yeah i got i i this but there were there were a lot of jack dudes there man i might yeah. have actually had the smallest arms there. <laughs> i mean, I, mean I, I waited i waited in at 160 so uh well, you know <laughs> yeah well i mean uh, big biceps i mean other than a bit of joint health i mean it does it obviously doesn't <laughs> it obviously doesn't win you the meat because if you if you are correct <laughs> and you have the smallest arms and you still won so Man, i mean it, and it doesn't help that with the wrist issue i couldn't do curls for four weeks going into the meat so oh man how did you get through that four weeks and no curls you poor thing <laughs> right before a meet yeah um the yeah no i mean absolutely uh and yeah, yeah. It sounds like you had a great meet, especially dealing with like some bicep, um, some bicep stuff like conservative PR on squats. Not really the best bench, but I mean, it wasn't really your fault on the day. I mean, take what you need on take what you exactly. Need on that's, that's the philosophy anyway. Mm. I think I said to one of the other competitors, uh, Trevor, Trevor Ballas, crazy strong dude, like brand new to powerlifting, coached by Sean, mm. had like a crazy good meet. Uh, like we were like warming up benching together and I just like, we got to, uh, we were like, uh, in the, get in the warm up room, like about to go onto the platform. I was just like, Hey, just gotta stay in the meat. He's like, yep. Just gotta stay in the meat. We both had our openers came back. We're like, we're in the meat. Let's go. And it's like, yeah. now we can deadlift. That's kind of the, yeah, yeah that's kind of the bad bencher mentality mm. that I got to get rid of. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and even with that, like you missed your third pull and still came out with a 10 times body weight total, which is crazy. I wonder, it's I actually wonder how many people have got. 10 times body weight, seven for nine. 
Because that's not something <laughs> that, like that's not something you can put together very easily. And you did it with two missed attempts and a conservative squat PR. So I mean, that's still that makes it in my eyes. It makes it even more impressive. All right. Well, it's this is this is something that I that I would that I do want to say is like it's a cheating ten times body weight total. Like I cut, you know, I cut for the Wilkes points, and it's like. I totaled uh, 732 and a half and I weighed in at 72.7. So it's like, it technically is 10 times body weight, but I would like to hit um, whatever 10 times the weight class is before I call it. I, that's why I think in my post, I even put a uh, technically 10 times body weight. Well, I mean, I don't think, I don't think, do people usually take it off the weight category? I didn't know that no, was something people I did. Do. Oh, no, okay. So you want to total 740. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, if exactly. you can put it to, if exactly. You, I mean, maybe October, put it together, eight for nine. Right. Go, yeah. yeah. Well, this, the 317 would have been a, a 745 total. So then I oh. would have oh, been, been talking more about the 10 times. I think yeah. you should still be talking about it because I don't think anybody thinks that if you're a 72 and a half, you're not a 74, you're a 72 and a half. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know. Technically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's been telling you that doesn't count? <laughs> Just, oh, the, the, the little people in my head. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. it. That's it. No matter what pe- other people say, say, there's still some stuff you just <laughs> just stick with you. Um, man, you had a fantastic mate. Uh, I'm really happy for you. Um, Thank you. And your sumo came together very nicely, especially transitioning from stiff to deadlift bar. And one of the things that we were going to discuss was sumo technique and why block pulls are shitty. And well, I want to. I, so I, I said that to you, but I should ask you first. Do you agree with that? Well, as someone who's never done sumo in his life, I feel... Okay, okay. Well, no, hang on, hang on. For someone who's done sumo for about 10 weeks of his life, I feel very uh, capable of discussing this issue. And <laughs> and I feel like that's an approach... At length. At length. At length with, with a really good sumo puller, I feel like I can hold my weight. But I think that's something that a lot of people do is they will talk about stuff that they've never done. I try my it's, best to refrain from discussing stuff I don't know about. But, however... Yeah. I think sumo conventional, both, I think just in general, like obviously more specific for sumo, but block pulls are shitty for technique work. You'll never, you'll never start in the same position. And obviously there's a height difference. What I mean is even if you had a pulled off the floor, when you get to the height of the block, you'll never be in the same position. And, uh, and imagine, uh, imagine taking away the hardest part of a lift and then thinking that that's going to translate to the competition part where mm. most people are going to struggle getting the bar off the floor I or mean, staying in position with the bar off the floor. Exactly. Right? I mean, maybe from a hypertrophy standpoint in an off season, if you're going to cut it's, some range of motion so you can load heavier, maybe I wouldn't do sumo block pulls. I'd the, maybe do conventional block pulls for just, you know, but even then I don't think it's worth it. I still don't think it's worth I would much rather do a machine row and like, go to RPE 10 with like a tempo, then do conventional block pulls and feel like shit, you know? Because if you take a set of conventional block pulls to 10, that's like, that's quite a few reps depending on the load and that would just fry me to pieces. Well, and, and so for me personally, as a sumo puller, my go-to off-season movement besides pause sumo deadlifts is deficit conventional deadlifts. Not block conventional deadlifts, deficit conventional deadlifts. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going as far in the other direction off blocks as I possibly can. Yeah. But the thing that, the thing that I, the point that I, I just, I, I hammer home in my own head is don't teach sumo off blocks. It feels like what people love to do is go from takes, take a, let's say like an early, an early novice lifter or whatever, somebody who's like, you know, lifted weights before and whatever, but like, 
is not like technically proficient in a lot of lifts. And it's like, okay, your conventional is not very good. What should we do? Let's take you to sumo because that's Mm -hmm. the popular thing to do. Right. Okay. So what's the first way that we're going to teach you how to pull sumo? Oh, we'll get you in the movement by doing these block pulls. And I know, I know with giving as much good grace as I can, what the point is. And the point is to not trash people's hip flexors and adductors that aren't used to working in that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So I understand why you might want to do that. It's not the worst idea, except for, I think it's the worst idea because you're not teaching the movement then. So if Mm -hmm. you're going to use it as a way to grade exposure into more hip flex some you know more into that position for your hip flexors and into that adductor involvement that's the only argument i see that's viable but you can't tell me that there's not a better way to progressively load that movement and great exposure you know what i mean mm. if you're a powerlifting coach you have i feel like it should be your responsibility to to introduce that movement and great exposure in a responsible way that actually does teach the position i mean so my first go-to would be reps with lots of sets if you're going to introduce something new, insanely lightweight, right? You At need practice. Insanely light loads. Yeah. I, I have a mate who's relearning conventional. He's got a 300 kilo um, sumo and he's relearning conventional and he's doing like 80, 90 kilos to try to, I think maybe he that's, had some that's sort about of, to be me. maybe, maybe back, some sort of back irritation or something. That's why it's so light, but sub a hundred kilos. So three times sure. less than his PR and he's doing it for conventional reps. And it's obviously after his sumo, but he's just reintroducing it's- it. Probably a I was going to say that that shouldn't be your primary hinging movement anymore at that point. But there's mm. that's what that's the entire point is there's a way to there's a way to grade exposure um, responsibly, I guess. Mm. There, there are absolutely contexts where block pulls are going to be good. That's like I think that's that goes back to like there's no good or bad cue. There's no good or bad exercise. Right. But like I hate the idea of teaching somebody sumo off of blocks, yeah. teaching it to somebody like this. is Oh, this is how we're going to learn the movement now. Oh, now I'm going to pull a block off. And now it's like, okay, now it's going to get a little harder. Now I'm going to pull a block off. Well, suddenly I'm off the floor and you don't know how to use your quads to engage the pull off of a sumo deadlift, which is like one of the hardest things to learn from the beginning. So let's teach it to you instead of taking it away. Yeah. And I mean, one of the, when I tried to do it, cause I have this relationship with conventional where every six months I lose my temper and I'm so <laughs> sick of my shitty positioning and all that. And I go, fuck it. I'm going to try sumo. Right. So I talk to my coach and he says, I'd rather you stick with the conventional. Or you're going to be a conventional puller. And I say, yeah, okay, whatever. But when I, right at the start, when I started with him, we were trying to decide between conventional sumo, uh, Instead of pulling off the floor, uh, between, instead of pulling off blocks, we start on the floor. But before I went to the like the bar, I would do this exercise where you have a kettlebell, you get into sumo, you put a band around your knees, you put it in front of a pole in front of you, so that the band. I call it the Mike Marino special. I think he's the one who popularized it. Yeah, it's exactly what I did to learn sumo too. The Mike uh, Mike Marino is the guy who like made this insanely popular. I don't yeah. know if that's where you got it. No, oh, that's where my coach showed me. Maybe he got it from him. But the band wants to pull your knees in, so you got to push your knees apart and it, and it teaches that positioning. It teaches that open hips and you can use a kettlebell to go through a range of motion bigger than what a sumo would be Mm -hmm. because the kettlebell can get lower to the floor. So it's actually more range of motion in an even position because it's actually actively fighting your, uh, opening up your hips and, and, you know, and I ended up sucking at sumo. So it's, you know, but but that's 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 not because so of the take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, so I mean, maybe maybe you know, it, it was a good exercise, and it was, and I felt like I was good at sumo, and then I got to the bar, and I still, you know, I, I haven't given it a good go yet, like proper go with sumo. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a great exercise, and then I could pull off the floor, and it was, you know, 
I, that positioning from the kettlebell exercise helped me heaps. And it was like, and I could pull off the floor it's, straight away. I didn't need blocks. It wasn't the best sumo, but I didn't need blocks. So, it's, and that exercise is one that um, I for at least a couple of years used to use that as a warm up to my sumo, the exact exercise you're describing. That's, yeah. and, and I have it bookmarked from Micah Marino's page page. It's like, yeah. I still, I still use it periodically as well, man. I think if, um, Dawson Windham is a great one. I spoke about him in the last episode. If you're looking for warm-ups, anything like that, Dawson Windham's page has, you know, he's not the most technical lifter in the world in the way that he pulls and that sort of thing, but his warm-ups and his prehab and rehab stuff is fantastic. And if I was, you know, if I was to pull sumo, that was the, you know, because he's got crazy mobility and he's got a crazy sumo and he's rehabbed himself from an injury. So he's one of the guys that I really pay attention to in his training and especially his warm-ups and stuff. And it's just like you said, bookmarking stuff. I bookmark anything I see that I think, oh, maybe I'll use that. Maybe I'll mm-hmm. use that in my, with my coaching. I just bookmark it and I go back, screenshot, whatever, have a look later. You know? Oh, yeah. people. There are so many people putting out great content for things mm-hmm. that like I can't make a video as detailed and as well produced as, as some of these people. And it's like, I can send it to somebody else and be like, Hey, this is, this is something that's good. Might be mm-hmm. useful. Not that anything is like perfect. Right. And like, I I'm probably even the wrong person to talk about prehab because I walk in and I just get under a squat bar and go most of the time. So it's like, I don't even, I, I'm not the poster child, but that I still save stuff like that. It's yeah. Like it, the information is valuable mm. and there are people putting out good, good the thi- bits of This it. is the thing. I walk into the gym and I'm, I get, and I do body weight squats, right? And if I feel mm-hmm. like shit, I'll pay more attention to my... Then- if I feel fantastic, if I'm loose, which is very rare at my, you know, with my body, but if I feel like... Were you about I'm to hit- say at your old age? No, I was going to say at my size, <laughs> but then I didn't want to sound cocky but at my size. But um, <laughs> if I walk in and I feel good, I like maybe I'll do, you know, some activation instead of like mm-hmm. mobility. If I feel like shit, we do mobility for a bit, then do activation, yep. then jump in. I don't think this like... You know, an hour warm up before you get under the bar. It's just like one, I don't have the time for it. I don't have the two, I don't have the patience. And three, I think it's counterproductive. It's counterintuitive, especially for someone who like relies on their stretch reflex and that sort of thing. If you get too too loose, quote unquote loose, you don't have that same that same reflex to bounce back out of the hole. Right. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with people that have the time, that have the patience and yeah, they feel well, better when they do that. Yeah. Go absolutely a hundred percent go for it. The problem is that it builds a narrative that you need it. And mm. like you just said, like some days you walk in and you feel like you don't need it. Great. You don't need to do it. Mm. And and if I don't do my whatever, 20 minutes of stretching, now I'm going to feel terrible. It's like, give your body what it needs that day. And everybody's different. And if you have, like you said, if you have the time, you have the patience outstanding, literally no harm, no foul. Mm. And the other thing I was going to say is what you said about sending stuff to other people as a coach. One thing I, I probably imagine is that people like would rather them explain it themselves and like, cause it's like them explaining it to their clients. It's like, well, if you see a video of someone else doing it, don't be like too, like, I don't want to use the word like egotistical, but man, if I, I'm sending stuff to my guys, if I see a good video I don't care if it's not me explaining it. It's like, fuck, I'll learn from it. I'll send it to them as well. It's like not everything as a coach has to come from you personally because the stuff that you learn right. in the first place didn't come from you personally either. It came from it's somebody else. No, you, nothing was nothing was your own. Nothing idea. was your own. You then, didn't you didn't come up with pause deadlift. So <laughs> why not send them a video of, of wait, how wait, to... Wait, wait, exactly. I did. I invented Yeah, 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 yeah. No, the thing is, is like, is like the whole part of the coach client relationship, right? Is like you send them this video and then the level of communication should be that like they say, okay, yep, this clicks good. Perfect. Mm. Oh, this, this didn't make perfect sense. 
then you explain it in a different way that you believe that your client would understand. And then that's mm-hmm. where the coach client communication comes in. It's like, you need to know how to say it to your athlete. I, but if I, there's somebody that says it great already, let yes. them hear from them. There was like a slack pool. I have, I have a guy getting in. He's, you know, getting really strong, but like really quickly, but his, he's not pulling slack, um, you know, to the best of his ability. So I said, Hey, here's this video. If this doesn't clear it up for you, or if you don't know how to apply this for yourself, let me know. I'll go over it with you because like the person, who pulls slack in the video and the way they explain it yeah it might be good for most people but if your client isn't most people with you know their biomechanical leverages and that sort of thing then you explain it in terms of what you can interpret will work for their body type so Mm -hmm. it's like here's this cool video if you don't understand this or if this doesn't work for you let's figure out why this is my opinion so it's like i yeah i'm always saving stuff in 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 case in the future someone is like this is my problem i'll be like here's this video (laughs) that i have saved it's like, here you go. Yep, exactly. It doesn't Unless have to- it's front squats mm. or sumo black poles, then I just won't throw and, it away. Well, Trash. even with, yeah, sumo, I, 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 did you say, oh, sumo black poles? Yeah. And what was the front squat it's thing? Front squats, trash. Mm. <laughs> just sub them for, just do safety bar. Just do safety bar just squats. Do, do, literally do lighter high bar. Do anything where your wrists aren't the limiting factor in the movement. That's mm. how I feel about I it. I have so never attempted, squats. if I attempted to do it, my shoulders and wrists would just break and dislocate. I could never, ever do a front squat. Never. I don't, I mean, and, and even people you, have, I would much, I would, I would do a Zercha squat before I did put an, yes. a front squat in. Yes. And people yes. have like, since the COVID, people have started to talk about Zerchas more because they're a good movement. Yep. And it's like that upper back stability and the position it puts you in very like quad Fantastic. dominant and that sort of thing. Whereas I, I've, I guess front squats for like the core stability and the bracing work and stuff, but I've never given them to anyone. I've never done it myself personally. So I really can't. Man, we're not only lifters. The literally the only reason I can think of to put front squats in is because your athlete wants to. They're yeah. not a bad movement by any means. They're just mm. like I don't do you listen to Chance. Have you uh, listened to Chance Mitchell's podcast? Oh, the I one did. I sent you. Yes, I did listen. So to that he one. has like the tears, and it's just like there's just it's not that it's bad. Mm. Even though I think it's bad, I'm saying it's bad. There's just so many things that you could do instead that why not do them? The only reason I would ever say do them is if somebody really wants to Mm. or Uh, trying to learn Olympic lifting, then you need it. That's a different story. When I program and uh, obviously I'm still learning and that sort of thing, but like in my mind, God tier is obviously squat bench deadlift and then the direct variations variations. and then the very close variations. So tempo, pause, last and blah, blah, blah. And then underneath it's like compound stuff. It's like dumbbell bench press, hack squat, leg press, hamstring curls leg extensions not as much but you know those compound movements that are like the same movement pattern so leg press for a squat or hack squat for a squat or like dumbbell bench press for bench press and that sort of thing that i really drive home as like the really good accessories and then the other accessories i guess are just in there for you know because they're not gonna you know something like a you know leg extension it's not the same movement pattern it's it's no Static it's hips with the knee extension. Get, get legitimate, get legitimate yeah. stimulus into a muscle that's a primary mover yeah. of a compound movement. And we're not even trying to draw direct correlation or show, you know, direct trans, uh, yeah, carryover it's, to the primary lift. Yeah. But it's like it's in there for that like stimulus, that RP nine accessory work. You just to get just to grow, and so like that's what I mean. Hypertrophy is hard. Hypertrophy is hard. And you got to do a lot of stuff to get it is mm. basically the point. So, so get it in, get it in ways that are not fatiguing. That's, that's how I structure at least is like your main mm-hmm. lifts and then the very close, like dumbbell bench press with, let's say posterior, you know, or, you know, feet up for that to take out the arch it- of the lower back. So there's like sure. those very close 
accessories that might contribute. And we, and we say might contribute because they may. A dumbbell bench press may. Like I spoke to Sean Noriega. He said he does it, but he knows it doesn't contribute to his bench. It's not good. For someone like him, it's not going to yeah. do anything. But for me, dumbbell bench press over a period of six months could be a huge difference. So like those are those like very or close. Even if it's a small difference, it's something well, that's even if it's yeah exactly worth doing exactly even a small difference is a big difference if you're going for first place at you know whatever. So right, and then obviously like the other ones you know just in there for fun or like you said because the client wants them to, and and I yeah, sort of absolutely. structure it like that. And There's who like three like levels. Going in to get a pump, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, it, 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 most people that are lifting weights. You like, I mean, I know we talked about the last time I was on here. I was like, I hate getting an arm pump. So four weeks and no bicep curls. I was yeah. fine. But you like, hurt your wrist on purpose, didn't leg you? Extensions. I, <laughs> I actually took a hammer. I was like, I wonder yeah. how I could get out of this. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was like, I was blasting leg extensions the entire time. It was awesome. So mm. yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's the thing I always talk about. People are annoyed at me for saying it all the time. But like, and even Sean Noriega said, it was paraphrased, but he said, um, people with accessories, people overrate them. People who love them overrate them and people who don't do them underrate it. So it's like both sides of the spectrum, you've got to find them. I'm, I, I know I'm one of those people who overrate them, but it's like, I think he was more talking about more advanced lifters where it's like, right. yes, for him, a dumbbell bench press is nothing, but it's in there for like weekly volume. For me- yep. Huge difference. Or a new lifter. I, I I see like new lifters, a dumbbell oh, bench yeah. press, something like that. Huge difference. If they can get a bigger pec, like bigger pecs, it's... it's Abs- Oh, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like Ironically for me, the only thing that I ever got to do to grow my chest, my pecs, was just start benching six times a week. But mm. I mean... Not which ev- I don't do anymore, yeah. but not everyone can handle that. And not <laughs> Yes, and that's for most people, that's not the most optimal thing to do. Is to yeah. go on bench six times a week. <laughs> the problem is, is you, you end up, you start hating bench more than you did before. It's like, I got to go do that again. I got to yeah. go do that again. Oh, man. Yeah, because even yeah. benching six times a week would mean I'd have to go into the gym on like an extra day. Like, because I only train yeah, exactly. five days a week. So you're actually adding a day of training. Exactly. And, and, and it's like, yeah. Ooh. Like, yeah. It was I, a day of like, when I was doing it, I had a day of bench and then uh, literally like, uh, lap pull down and face pulls just to get like something mm. for the the opposite muscles whatever however you want to think about that and yeah. then get the heck out of there yeah um you're meaning like a, a one-to-one push-pull ratio essentially or uh, i mean i, I yeah I, I don't know you mean like for exercise for exercise sure it's just like i just learned that doing some lap pull downs and face pulls after my bench like mm-hmm. made me feel better for my next bench yeah. session so it was just kind of like that yeah. But yeah, basically one-to-one push-pull yeah. ratio. I've heard some people preach it and then I've heard some other people. Because I know Sebastian Orobs, Australian strength coach, he talks about that one-to-one push-pull ratio. I guess it's, it's a way of like preventing imbalances. But they tr- sure, it's a hard... Really, the, the, human, the human body is a very uh, self-assembling system. I really don't think that my chest was going to get too big. It was just yeah. something that it's like... It, it makes sense. You're going to start falling you know forward. I mean? <laughs> right, ah, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen for me with the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. But, it like, but, I, but just anecdotally, it made my next bench yeah. session feel a little bit better. So there you yeah. go. I mean... No, I, and I think it's like something like that, like you just spoke about for like posture, even such a, I know posture is sure. a word that it's not, not good to throw around unless you're like a, an expert. But yeah. yeah, because posture is a bit of a, one of those buzzwords now at this point. Um, but yeah, just to, just to pull those shoulders back a little bit. How dark, is, what time is it for you? 9 p.m. Oh. <laughs> I just had to go through the line. I was no. just sitting outside. Yeah. No, you're 9 right, man. 9 p.m. I'll, I'll let you go anyway. If it's 9 p.m. Hey. <laughs> 
No worries. Yeah. I mean, we talked for a little bit longer than we said we were going to again. Oh, uh, man. I don't I mind. It's like always going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's always fun to have you on, man. Um, but yeah, again, huge congratulations for the other day. Uh, and, and if you guys haven't seen Michael's videos, go, if you got this far in the podcast, go back and watch his meat recap and, and go, go onto two white lights and watch, uh, his, his first, uh, when he first finished, what was it? He did a live stream with Angelo. It's up on the two mm-hmm. white lights account. Uh, go, go and watch there. And, um, yeah, thanks again for coming yeah. on. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for the congratulations. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to come and just uh, uh, ramble about my meat experience. No, I, you're right, man. I, I, know, I love we, talking, and it's great. It's we great could keep going, and this. we could keep going and discussing because there's there's definitely more topics, but we'll save it for another episode. I'll have you back on. Um, yeah, unfortunately, studying and blah 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 <laughs> is is, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is but unfortunately, but yeah. Uh, thanks again, and 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 have a great night. Absolutely, thank you. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye.